Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So we're in our second week of Advent, and uh, there's a lot of different ways to approach Advent and a lot of different things to talk about. Uh, But one of the things that stuck out to me as I've been rereading through Luke and the story of Advent is Mary's Song. So that's the title of our message today is is Mary's Song. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to jump right into it. Sound okay? Awesome. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and rest on us right now? Yeah, God, may there be a a continued posture in our heart um, of worship and adoration towards you. It doesn't stop when the music goes away. It doesn't doesn't stop uh, because we're we're not singing songs or or whatever we have to do normally to engage, God. But would would you keep our hearts and our minds engaged right now? We position ourselves to, to live a life of worship uh, with our minds, with our hearts, with our daily living. Yeah, God, I just pray that you would um, let these words land this morning. Yeah, and that you would speak to your people in a relevant and real way. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, again, the title of our message this morning is Mary's Song, or the Magnificat, or Magnificat, however you want to pronounce it. Um, this part of the narrative is shortly after Mary's been visited by the angel Gabriel and finds out that she's going to bear um, the Messiah. That's not small news. That's a big deal. Um, and so she uh, is trying to figure out what she needs to do, decides she's going to go visit some family. So that's where we drop into our text. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, if you have a Bible or the app or whatever. Um, I have it up there. I did not realize my font was this small. So sorry about that. Um, yeah, so uh, if you have a Bible or app, honestly, probably a lot easier. I will also read it, and if you can read that, you have impressive eyesight. All right, here we go. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then this is Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now, on all, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So uh, when I read this passage, the, the overwhelming theme that I picked up on uh, and that stands out to me, and, and more or less, Mary's song is our topic, but more of what, what we're going to talk about is there's this expectant hope that Mary has. From, from the beginning of this story, through, the, through her song to the end, there's this, this expectant belief. And outside of an angel's visit and an encounter with God, nothing's actually happened yet, though. She's pregnant, but nothing's happened. Jesus isn't on the scene. There's not this big revolution going on uh, with politics or, or socially or anything like that. It's all the same. It's all stayed the same. But just because of this promise, just because God said so, Mary had this expectant, resilient hope. And Elizabeth shared in it. And they have this, they have this moment where you know, they're both pregnant. They're both in this tension of pregnancy. And obviously, I don't know anything about pregnancy. Um, and so I'm not going to pretend to. But I will say that, and my, my mom's here. She can probably attest to this. There's some tension about being pregnant. You know it's coming. You know it's a good thing, especially when you're planning to have a kid. And you know you're going to have a baby. It's a good thing, it's exciting, you're hopeful, but it hasn't happened yet, and there's all this painful stuff that happens first for nine months. So we're talking about two women who are going to be going through all of those things if they're not already, but when they get together, there's this expectant hope. It didn't matter as much, all the pain, all the suffering, all the hard stuff that they had to go through, there was just this expectant, resilient hope when they gathered together. The first thing they said to each other was, my baby leaped in my womb. Blessed are you who come. Blessed who comes, the mother of my Lord. There's this expectant hope while they're going through a bunch of crap. Like day to day, life sucks. Like, because at least from what I, the little I do know, if you're a pregnant woman, morning sickness, that's a thing, right? For those moms... Yeah, that's, a, that's a normally a thing. Yeah, so you wake up almost daily and have that. That's not fun. That's not a great way to start the day. You probably can't sleep super great half the time, depending on what, at what stage of your pregnancy you're in. It's very uncomfortable. So we're not talking about like when things are going super good and super well. We're talking about in the middle of a lot of really annoying day-to-day stuff. But as soon as these two got together, there was just this expectant hope, intention, while in between. We sang that song in due season this morning, and it captures perfectly probably the experience of Mary and Elizabeth, which was, until I see it, I've got to rest in what God's promised to me. Fear and doubt and these things we experience are real. I'm not going to sit here and say, you won't experience those. That's not true at all. But whether or not they have the ultimate authority over our lives, that's the difference. And for Mary and Elizabeth, that didn't, have the, that didn't have the final word. God's promise for both of their children had the final word. So we're going to keep going on in this. Um, reading uh, one of my, my favorite uh, commentators 
on this one, a guy that I just randomly stumbled across a few months back. His name's Alexander McLaren. Uh, He wrote in his commentary, God's voice is made more sure to our weakness when it is echoed by human lips and our inmost hopes attain substance when they are shared and spoken by another. So like I was saying, Mary and Elizabeth get together and instead of this thing being super uh, difficult and even though they're going through a bunch of really rough stuff day to day, going through pregnancy and everything like that, they were able to share in their experience together. And again, God's voice is made more sure to our weakness when it's echoed by human lips. So they're able to affirm one another and the promise that God gave them. Now they're, now they're even more joyful because they've got somebody who can relate, not just actual experience, not just, not just with going through the same thing, but someone who says, no, no, God, God promised this over, over my life and over my child. And he did it for you. And I believe it. I believe it for you. And so in that fear and in that doubt and in those day-to-day super tough, you know, painful, uncomfortable days, God's voice is made more sure when we can share in that together. And so Mary and Elizabeth are having this moment where they, they're sharing in that together. They are affirming what God's doing, even though they haven't seen it yet. And they, they, they stoke, for lack of a better word, they stoke the fire for one another to continue believing what God's doing in their life. Um, this is a tangent and I'm going to go on it. I wrote it down. Um, there's one thing before I keep going with this, there's one thing that we seem to do in our situations and our circumstances about tension and hope. And what I've noticed, especially with my generation, people my age, uh, but this, it goes for everybody, we'll specialize our day-to-day struggles or our situations or, um, fears even usually, We'll specialize it to the point where it's like, oh, you can't relate with me though. Like where we will we'll make a, uh, a concerted effort to vocalize what our problem is and what our fear is or whatever. And we just want somebody to listen. And when somebody tries to share in that experience with us, more often than not, we'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we try and do this weird thing of like outdoing each other. Like my fear is actually more than your fear. I'm more afraid than you are about this thing, or my situation's worse than you. We try and like beat each other at having bad situations. I've watched, it's so silly, but I've watched it over and over again. Like I'll tell someone what's going on with me. It won't even be like a bad thing. It'll just be like a situation. And they'll try and tell me, yeah, oh yeah, I totally hear you. And then we get super selfish. We're like, I'm going through this and blah, 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 blah. And we project it like it's, so much worse. And for some reason, we start competing with each other about who's got the worst situation. And Mary and Elizabeth, that's not what they do at all. It helps they're going through the same thing, but they could have easily been like, oh, well, my morning sickness is worse than yours. That's nothing to be proud of. And who wants to have worse morning sickness? And so, but we do that. And I've watched it with Christians. I've watched it with coworkers. I've watched it with adults. I've watched it with people in their 60s, people in their 20s. We do this weird thing where we want our experience to be so specialized that no one can understand me. We try and make it so situational where it's like, you'll never understand what I'm going through. And while there are cases and times where, no, I can't feel the same thing that my wife Zoe does if we're going through a problem or a situation together. But if I can relate and we can get on the same level and we can have a shared experience in that together, I don't need to feel the exact same things she does for us to share in that experience. Mary and Elizabeth do this beautifully. 
They're not trying to be each other and they're not trying to beat one another with their worst experience or how, how hard things are or the, the opposite of God's promise is more for me than it is for you. No, they're celebrating one another and they're affirming each other's experience. And because they're sharing in that, again, that, that quote, God's voice is made more sure in our weakness when it's shared together and it's, it's affirmed and echoed in human lips. And that's what we see here with Mary and Elizabeth, which is really important as we move forward. I'm not just blabbering on and on. I am blabbering, but, not, but for a reason. All right. The importance of magnifying and rejoicing God. As we move through the text, um, so as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. That's really important. Uh, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would. There's a lot of words in there that are not already. There are, there are a bunch of not yet. He, blessed is she who believed and would. It still has to happen. This is really important because Mary's song reflects a posture of her heart while still being in the middle, while still being in the in-between, while, while being between what God's promised and that promise being fulfilled. So that's why this is really key. All right, Mary sings, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. We'll pause right there. The importance of magnifying and rejoicing in God while in the tension. How we posture our hearts and our minds while in the waiting makes all the difference in whether we believe that God's going to do what he says he'll do. I, can't, I cannot... Um, echo enough the importance and significance of Mary and Elizabeth both being pregnant and in the middle of waiting for something. And this is the song that comes from Mary's lips. It's not, woe is me. It's not, man, this sucks. I'm sure there were those moments. I'm not saying that's not real. It definitely is. But the posture of Mary's heart was, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary's posture isn't, oh man, why do I have to go through this super painful thing? Her posture is, I'm so low. I'm low on the totem pole. And on a literal sense, like socially, economically, she was really low. And all she has here is a, is a posture of glorifying God. Her posture is praise. She starts with praise. She doesn't start with suffering. She doesn't start, not that it's not real. It's not that you don't acknowledge it, but she starts with praise. It doesn't start with anything. It doesn't start with what God has already done or, or what God's gonna do. And so when we gather, what we tend to do sometimes is we need to wait like a song or two or the whole set or the very last song and then we're engaged. And I understand that it's hard to come in here at 9 a.m. and do it. I, man, we come in on the worship team, we come in at 7. It's hard to be ready to roll at 7 a.m. So I, I, I hear you. But the posture of Mary's heart is not situational. The posture of Mary's heart is God is worth glorifying. He's worth magnifying. Because he's God, I rejoice. It's not, it's not based on what I'm going through. It's based on who God is. So Mary's posture in the tension is not about my circumstance determining how God is or who God is, but rather I'm going to start with who God is and then let that determine my circumstance. 
And that's really important as we move through the rest of this. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary's posture was one of faith and confidence, even though the promise wasn't at its completion. So I pose a question for all of us. How are we posturing ourselves to have expectant hope? And that's not, this Advent season is a great reminder of how we can reposture ourselves to have expectant hope. We celebrate for four weeks the coming of Jesus, but one of the best things about these four weeks is we're not there yet. We can dive into the text and see and read what happened to get to the birth of Jesus. And that's what we are gathering for. When we, when we do this Advent service or Advent services, we're, we're not just gathering to already celebrate Jesus coming. We're trying to experience what happened in the Advent story as a whole. And there is tension and there is in between and there is uncertainty. All these things that guess we all go through. Like this is normal for all of us. To, to be uncertain, to be skeptical, to be fearful, to, be, uh, to doubt. I'm not shaming any of that. That's actually so normal. What the text affirms is that that's normal and it's okay to go through that. The text just also affirms the posture of our heart while we go through it. It's okay to be both. We're in the vineyard movement. And for those of you who don't know, the vineyard believes in this concept of both and. And this is a prime example of both and. We can both be expectant and hope and have our fear and our doubt and be skeptical. It can be really hard, but are we leaning on expectant hope? Which starts with, do we believe God who is, is who he says he is and that'll determine our circumstance or do we believe our circumstance determines who God is? It's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to be fearful. But is that determining whether or not God's good. So, again, how are we posturing ourselves to have expectant hope? Verses 48 through 50. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Uh, Mary's humility and posture of meekness position her to rejoice and praise God through an unfinished work. What this communicates to me was not only was it God's good enough and that's, that's, that's enough reason to praise before I see anything else. She was reminded, and she talks about the lowly state of her, of her as a servant. She's reminded of what it was like before her experience with God. She remembers what, what it means to, to have not felt God or to not experience God or to not have a touch from God. And she says, you, you, have, you have remembered the lowly state of your servant. You've been mindful of the lowly state of your servant. And it's out of this meekness and out of this humility that Mary is in a position to experience God in his goodness. So my next question for us to, to ponder on and think about is have we remembered the lowly state we were in before Jesus? And is that enough to sing and praise? Before a promise gets made, before we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit or whatever it might be, do you remember what it was like before Jesus in your life and where you are now with Jesus in your life? And isn't that enough? Have we remembered? 
while we wait for the coming of the king and we wait for Jesus to come, is have we remembered, is it enough to just remember what God's done in our life? Got really quiet really fast. Whew, okay. Um, Mary alludes to God scattering the proud in their thoughts. This is verses 51 and 52. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Mary alludes to the God scattering the proud in their thoughts. And this is something that gets prophesied and is alluded to all throughout the Old Testament prophets. Um, it, this, this, uh, the phrasing in the, the writing of Mary's song is very much like a psalm uh, and reads like a psalm from David or reads like an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah. Uh, so she's affirming what the old prophet said, which was the proud would be, um, would be brought low and the humble would be lifted. But more than that, Mary addresses this new thing that we end up finding out is a really big theme later on in Jesus, uh, in Jesus' ministry, is it's not just the posture of the things we do and what we do and don't do. It's actually the posture of our thoughts. It's the posture of our heart. Um, what does it say? He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. It's not just about being proud about what you do. It's actually super okay. Mercy and Liz led worship today. I want them to be proud of themselves for how they did. They're on my team. They did a great job. I want them to be proud of that. But it's different when their inmost thought, if their inmost thought is, man, I'm the best worship leader at this church. Man, I'm, I'm better than Zoe. I'm definitely better than Tucker. I might be better than Zoe. So that, that Mary starts to allude to what actually matters most. And that's the posture of what's going on inside, not just what we do. Heart change and, and God coming and Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, isn't meant to just, it's not a reform program where we become uh, like these obedient, I'm getting too far out, uh, where we become, uh, where we just become like slaves to the system of serving and servanthood and doing this stuff. It's actually just about, uh, it starts with, not just about, but it starts with how I think, my heart posture, how I respond when someone's mad at me, how I respond when I get offended by something. What's the posture of my thoughts and my heart when someone challenges me? When Kyle has a different idea that I don't like about worship team stuff, what's the posture of my heart? Because I could outwardly say all the right words. You know what, Kyle, that's a great idea. We should totally implement that. And then I could be in my head or go home and be like, man, Kyle is such a, man, He's lucky I didn't deck him like, you know, blah, 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 blah. He's just trying to undermine me and undermine my stuff. That's sinful. And frankly, that's more important than like that. That posture is what ultimately decides how we serve the poor, how we serve one another, how we serve in our church, how we treat our coworkers. It starts with how I think and what the posture of my heart is. Because I can tell you right now, you can serve the poor, you can pray for the sick. What's the Bible say? You, you did all these things in my name, but you didn't know me. What a terrifying thought to do all the religious things that make sense and then have to stand before Jesus at the end. He says, you did it all, but you didn't know me. And knowing him starts with how my thought life changes, how my heart changes. So my question with this is, have we... Uh, Never mind. <laughs> uh, verse 53, we go into, it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. The world we find ourselves in right now is somewhere between the proud still being in positions of power, like we just read uh, in verse 52, 
somewhere between the proud still being in power and the humble being lifted up. And while we're in this middle and in this tension, what defines the humble being lifted up to me, again, this is an opinion. I'm just saying that now. I'll take Glenn's normal offer. If you want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with me outside of this for the price of, was it two ninety five for an Americano? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll sit down and talk with you about this. So this is just, just an opinion based on my, my reading of the text. Um, we live in a time where the humble being lifted up, especially for those of us who follow Jesus, is determined by our hunger for God. It's very simple. Because as, as Mary says this, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. She's talking about both a literal hunger, because she, again, comes from low class, low social economic upbringing. So she's talking about literal hunger, like people who don't have food or don't have a lot of food. But that's not all she's talking about. She's talking about spiritual hunger. She's talking about people who are hungry to experience God who are willing to, while in tension and while in the middle, they're hungry. One of the things that I uh, have been noticing and have experienced since, I mean, I've grown up my entire life in the vineyard movement, uh, but since I've been here is the different seasons and times where I've had such a, like a spiritual fervor and a hunger for God. Like Kyle can attest to this. When we were 17, 18, 19, man, we just, all we wanted to do was get together and worship. We didn't care what it looked like. We didn't care if it was 10 people in the room or 300 people in the room. We wanted to get together and we wanted to play music and we wanted to worship. And there was just different times in my life where I was so, so hungry and it looked different and it's looked different in other seasons. Right now for me, it's being faithful to scripture. And super right now for me, it's just hanging on. My family's going through a crisis right now. And so right now it's just hanging on. But my hunger ultimately is going to be what God uses to lift, lift up anything I ever do. And that's not, that can't be our goal. Our goal can't be to be lifted up. It has to be hunger. Our goal has to be a hunger for God. We can't worry about the other stuff. We can't, Mary's not worried about what this means for her. Mary's not worried about what this will do for her reputation for, trust me, she's not worried about her reputation. Everyone thought she was lying and thought she'd slept around and that's why she was having a baby. She's really not worried about her reputation. However, in her song, we find it's the lowly and the ones that are hungry that are lifted up. And now, here we are talking about Mary's song some 2,000 plus years later. Reputation restored, for sure. And that, had, that was not Mary's goal at any time. But it was the position of humility and a hunger for God. It was saying yes and it was having a hunger for God. Now, to my question. <laughs> While we live in the tension, are we, and, and we're in the middle of the kingdom coming, are we living with a hunger for God to fill or are we content to simply keep on keeping on? This part about, uh, but has sent the rich away empty. It's, again, it's not just physical riches. It's, I'm guilty of this. Um, it's not just physical, having all the things and all the stuff. It's an internal, uh, not contentness, but not con complacency. 
That's the, the rich, the, the metaphorical part is I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm good. I've got a good church, got a good wife. My family's good. You know, I play every Sunday or whatever. I go to church. I do the routine. I do revival study. I'm good. You know, I'm set. But there needs to be a burning desire to want God. We have to want God. We have to want, have to have a hunger for God. It's not enough for me to just do the motions. Again, referring back to that Bible verse, I should have written it down. We could do all the things. We could read the Bible studies. We could uh, go out and do outreaches. We could go and pray for the sick. We could, we could do ministry time here at church. But if there's not ultimately a desire to encounter God and a hunger for God, then at the end of it, we're going to stand before him and say, you did all these things, but you didn't know me. So again, my question is, you know, are we going to live with a hunger for God or are we going to be content to simply keep on keeping on? And this isn't directed at anyone. I know this feels like a lot, but there's something about the season of Advent for me that uh, stirs up a desire for God's closeness again. This has been something I'm experiencing the la- just the last couple of years uh, as I've been here at this church, but I am re-inspired during Advent to pursue God's nearness because of the significance of what it means for Jesus to come, what it means for God to come in flesh, for Emmanuel, God with us, to be near us. And it stirs up in me this desire to be hungry again. And sometimes that's all, it's not easy, it's not, it's, there's not a formula to be hungry for God. Sometimes you have to desire to desire. You have to want to be hungry. And if that's where you need to start, that's okay. If that's where I need to start, that's okay. But we got to start somewhere. We have to be hungry for God. Yeah. So, he remembers and he keeps his promises. Verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So again, he remembers and he keeps his promise. Mary didn't have any idea how this was all going to go down. She knew what God promised. She knew the, the end game, um, the, what the idea was. And even then, probably to some extent, Mary was under the belief that there was going to be this great big revolution where God was going to come and bring on an army and wipe out the Romans reestablish Israel, the whole thing, the whole nine yards. Not true at all. As we go through the rest of the gospel, we find that Jesus does the total opposite, flips with the world's concepts upside down on its head, doesn't do any of it. But she doesn't know any of that. She has no context for it. She just knows what God's promised her. But it was enough. She had an expectant hope. And her expectant hope gave her a song to sing. And she shows us what it means to celebrate the already and believe for the not yet. She had a hunger, she had expectant hope, she had a reason to keep singing. It's called Mary's song. (laughs) She had a reason to keep singing. And she demonstrates for us what it means to live in Advent season, not just during Christmas time, but as our lives, the posture of our heart of Jesus has come and he's still coming. God has done these things, he's currently doing things, and he's still going to do more at the end. And we don't need to know, 
what it all looks like. Mary certainly didn't. And what she was carrying was pretty weighty, and she didn't know. But she was able to carry an expectant hope. She was able to sing a song, and she was able to live in that tension. So that's my invitation this morning, is how do we live with an expectant hope, a song to sing while being in tension? I love you all. I've gone to church with most of you for a while now. But we are in a place, I believe, in our church right now, we're at a crossroads where we can decide to keep pushing and be hungry for God where we have otherwise been dry, where we've otherwise seen a lot of turnover, we've seen a lot of change, we've seen a lot of people leave, we've seen a lot of offense, we've seen a lot of different things. And I think we're at a crossroads right now where our hunger for God and our lowliness in it is going to posture us for whatever God's promise has been for this church. So my invitation this morning is, is to get prayer for a hunger for God again. If that's a desire to desire, if that's to continue stirring the hunger you already have, if that is just to have renewed hunger again, you've experienced God, but it's been a while, whatever it might be. And at this point, if I can get uh, the worship team to come back up, that would be awesome. Um, that's my invitation this morning. How do we stay hungry while we are living in a tension and in a time where we don't know what God's promise looks like, when we don't know what it'll be at the end? How do we continue to have expectant hope when day-to-day there's a lot of stuff that's hard to be hopeful about? It's hard to be um, motivated to be hopeful. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.